Trigger warning, this episode discusses cases of sexual, domestic violence, and suicide. Hey guys, and thank you for listening. Um, I am appreciating you so much if you are listening to this podcast and have stuck with me this far. I have finished my first official month of podcasting and I'm actually really loving it. Um, I'm going to start here. I may consider doing a YouTube in the future. Not the best with technology as if you're friends with me, you know this already, but I'll figure it out. I'm really, this month and the last few months, I've really just been saying fuck what society tells me I should be doing, that I should be working a 40-hour work week, 9 to 5, and just work paycheck to paycheck, Um, waking up, going to work, taking a shower, eating, sleep, do it all over again. I'm someone that I need to be passionate about what I do, and I've always felt, ever since I was a young person, that I have a different calling for this life like I (laughs) I'm gonna get into this a little bit in the podcast today because it's gonna be super improv and um spur of the moment not scripted or anything like that I've been typing up some things for my previous podcasts like main points to say but I've always felt like there's more for me out there than what I have lived thus far and I've really just been trying to follow my purpose, whatever that means, following my passion and my heart and listening to my higher self and trusting my intuition and guidance is going to lead me where I need to go. So today I want to talk a little bit about my story and I have a very deep feeling this is going to be super emotional for me. Um, I figured I would talk about my book a little bit, Trauma, Tears and Triumph, not to sell it or anything. I just really want to share my heart. And this book is is my heart. Um, I spoke with my publishing company today to see about taking it to where I want it to go. I have this, this dream for this book. Um, if any of you guys are familiar with poetry, when I was going through my hardest time, I stumbled across the book Milk and Honey by Rupi Kaur. And I apologize if I'm not pronouncing her name right, but I read this book maybe like 10 times and then The Sun and Her Flowers came out and I found Andrew McNeil's publishing house. And this is a publishing company that published all my favorite poets. They published R.H. Sin, Amanda Lovelace, R.M. Drake, Courtney Peppernell, Rupi, and all the amazing poets that I have religiously followed and read their work and and I admire them so much. And ever since I found Milk and Honey, I always had this knowing that I was meant to be published by them, that, that they resonated with my work and they would best express my work and my vision for my work. As many of you know, I've always been a writer. I never felt like I belonged as a kid. I always felt out of place, like something was wrong with me. I had really bad social anxiety and I've never been good with speaking words, but I've always been good with writing them. Writing always came so easily for me and I remember when my dad was dying and 
My dad had um, liver disease and cancer when I was a kid growing up. I watched my dad slowly die and um, growing up with a chronically ill parent is not something you hear much about, but I constantly brought it to my journal. I would write and write and write my heart out when I felt like no one was listening to me, when I wanted to be seen and I wanted to be heard, but I felt so alone and, and so lost and in the darkness at such a young age. I had diary after diary after diary. And it's funny, my first my first work that I ever created, I remember I've always been such a hopeless romantic. I was about five years old and I wrote this series called Amanda and Mike and it was basically about a girl and a boy that fell in love and that lived happily ever after. And I've watched my writing transform throughout the years and it's really kind of sad when I would look back at my my middle school and my high school journals. I found a theme in my writing, this concept of me being the ugly duckling and not fitting in and boys not liking me. And I remember this one journal entry I wrote, I was asking God why he made me so ugly and how I just wanted to be like the other girls. I wanted to fit in and I wanted to be beautiful. And I wanted boys to like me. And it, it really broke my heart because at such a young age, I just felt like I didn't deserve to take up space. And I hated myself and I didn't know why, but I knew it was because of the way other people treated me. And I remember this this poem called Mousetrap that I wrote when I was in the ninth grade. And um, that was when I got into my first abusive relationship and I wrote about how the boy I liked and I won't say his name um, because, you know, we were 13. I have no hard feelings, but his mom used to abuse him and he was in an abusive household and my dad was dying and I just wrote and it was, it's really sad looking back at that um, because I didn't know my worth and I think often we end up with people that will affirm to us how we feel about ourselves. So if you don't believe you have value, if you don't believe you're lovable, if you feel unwanted, you're often going to manifest situations and experiences and people into your life that will say, yeah, this is how you are. You know, we attract the love we think we deserve. So I am holding this book in my hands and I have put blood, sweat, and tears into this book and I am going to manifest into my reality what I hope and want and dream and have desired for this book, Trauma, Tears, and Triumph. Um, this is my second time having it published. The first time I wasn't allowed to use my real name and the second time <laughs> I was allowed and I just, I would love more than anything in the world to have this book sold in bookstores. And I've been visualizing just going into Barnes and Nobles and seeing my beautiful book on the shelves and in the library. And I hope that what my book can do for other people is what Rupi Kaur's book, Milk and Honey, did for me to assure me that I wasn't alone and anyone that is going through something as devastating as I went through 
to let them know that you can make something of this, that there is a purpose in the pain you are feeling. And I would love to be a New York Times bestselling author. I'm not sure if it will be for Trauma, Tears, and Triumph for another book, but I'm going to make it so because I want to. (laughs) And I don't think that any dream is too big for us unless we think that we are not good enough or capable of achieving our dreams. And people may laugh at you. They may look at you like you're crazy or they may be like, oh yeah, that's really cute and just kind of write you off. But you came into this world with a responsibility and those responsibilities are your dreams. And you were given those dreams because you can fulfill them if you put your mind to it. So it is September when I'm recording this and it is National Suicide Awareness Month and a large part of the book, it actually, it's a poetry book, but it takes you through a story and I unintentionally did this actually for many of you that know this story, Trauma, Tears and Triumph was my journal. It literally is my personal journal that I wrote between the years of 2015 and 2018 about. And I just remember feeling this this longing to just die. I, you know, I just wanted to die. I didn't want to be here anymore. And I was going to a domestic violence shelter for counseling. And my counselor, she was amazing. She saved my life. Um, And I was telling her, about the poems I wrote and I read her one and she said you need to publish this (laughs) this could help a lot of people and that's beautiful and I had never thought of that I always thought that I was a failure I I always thought I was nothing that I could do nothing that I would go nowhere I basically just saw life as a dead end and now, years later, I just want to kiss and hug and wipe my past self's tears because I see a young girl that was scared and was brainwashed by the people around her telling her that she was worthless, telling her she would amount to nothing. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the trauma. And this started... <laughs> Well, I've had a lot of trauma in my life, but in the book, I specifically write about a relationship and the book takes you through the relationship and it takes you past the relationship because I'm not what happened to me and you're not what happened to you, whatever that might have been. We are not what has happened to us. We are not how people have treated us. But I didn't know this back then. (laughs) That's one of the beautiful things about getting older is we evolve, we grow, and we mold into the person that we were ultimately meant to be if we decide to do so. So I'm going to take you to about this time five years ago, and fall is always such a nostalgic, bittersweet time for me because I think of around the time when I met my ex-boyfriend, And I'll just take you back with me. 
So it's September 2015, and I'm 21 years old. I have horrible self-esteem issues, and I've always just felt this, this calling for love. Even when I was younger, I just wanted love. I, I was such a Disney fanatic, and I thought love was like the way it was in the movies with the princesses and happily ever after you know, being saved and taken away on a chariot. And I remember Taylor Swift was my favorite singer and listening to her love songs. And I wanted nothing more than for that happy girl in the story to be me. But I couldn't find this in my life. Every guy I dated, they they told me I was ugly. They told me to kill myself, that I was only good for what I could give to them. And when I didn't give it to them, then... I had no purpose. So it's September of 2015, and I just spent the summer with this boy that I worked with. He was a nice guy, but he wasn't for me. And I had so many insecurities at that age that I didn't know how to have a healthy relationship, honestly. So it had just ended with that boy, and my sister, I have an older sister, she... She was telling me about this guy that she worked with. She worked as a manager at Big Lots, and I'm getting goosebumps, guys. She um, she told me about this, this boy, and I'm just going to say it. His name was Jack, and I don't feel bad saying this because, one, I know my ex doesn't listen to this. Two, I know I'm not endangering or harming him in any way. And three, Jack is one of the most common male names in America. It is extremely common. So his name was Jack and she said, you need to meet this guy. His his name is Jack and he reminds me of you so much. You guys are like the same person. You would have so much in common. And, and I kept saying, no, no, no. Um, I don't want to meet him for whatever reason. I think the reason I didn't want to meet him was because I saw his picture and it might have been Facebook because I I used Facebook back then, but I saw him and (laughs) he was exactly my type. Um, I thought he was gorgeous and I, I felt so bad about myself that I didn't want to meet him. And I remember my sister telling me, I showed him your Instagram. He thinks you're really pretty. He wants to go out. I might have said no for a straight month because I was so afraid that he would be disappointed when he met me in person because I did have a guy tell me off of Tinder when I had a Tinder when I was 19 that I was hotter online and he didn't expect me to be so tall and it just completely destroyed, you know, my self-love for myself, which I now know we should not have anybody else's opinions of us influence how we feel about ourselves. but again I was young I was impressionable so after a while Jack actually found my Facebook and we started messaging and it was in October that we finally agreed that we would go out because my sister was very insistent and deep down I did want to meet Jack very badly but I just didn't feel like I was good enough for him and It would just be another experience of rejection and it would be embarrassing. But 
I caved, and on October 31st, 2015, I met him. And I remember being so nervous before our first date. Like, I had to do affirmations, I was meditating, and I had a zit on my face, so it just, it made my anxiety go up. I might have had an anxiety attack. My mental health was really not great when I was younger. I struggled a lot with mental health issues. And he's outside, and... (laughs) He was one of the funniest guys I'd ever met. He honked (laughs) because a car almost backed up into him and I thought he was honking at me to come outside. So it was off to a weird start. But the second I saw him, it was unlike anything I had ever experienced before. He was standing outside of his car. He had a silver Kia and... I just remember just being breathtaking because I thought he was beautiful. And when I laid eyes on him for the first time, it was like I had known him before in another life or I had known him all my life and I never believed in love at first sight. And then I saw him and I started maybe believing in it. Which, of course, I know it's lust at first sight. It's not love, but seeing him and meeting him for the first time, I think, was what kept me in the relationship for so long because I felt like this was my soulmate. (laughs) And he was very kind. He opened the door for me, and it was a little weird at first because we both had anxiety and, you know, narcissists do have severe self-esteem issues so with his narcissism and my inferiority complex (laughs) we were definitely interesting together so we went on our first date and it was magical like I don't know how else to describe it it was it was the date that I had always dreamed of I always wanted to go on a real date and up until then I had never done anything like that before and I fell for this kid so fast. Like there was there was no turning back. I fell for him immediately the first time I met him. I just I knew I wanted to be with him. And I can't describe it. It was a chemistry, it was a it was a vibe and attraction like no other. And I just liked who I was when I with was with him. And, of course, I was trying to do and say all the right things because I wanted him to like me. But we went out, you know, the more we went out, I just felt so on top of the world when I was with him. And I started getting scared because I didn't like how I was feeling because I felt so vulnerable and I felt exposed and like I was going to be swallowed and eaten away at any minute. That's how I describe it. I just knew that I had the potential to just really fall in love and I wanted to give my heart to him so bad, but I was just so mortified of what it could do to me. And the relationship really started out great. He was everything I had ever wanted in a person. 
I'm so sorry, I'm getting emotional. I don't even know if I'll publish this or if this is just more so cathartic for me. But as I said, the fall is a really sentimental time for me because I think back to how happy I truly was when I first started dating Jack. It was a feeling that I've never felt twice. They say lightning strikes, not twice but once something like that lightning never strikes the same place twice and I was head over heels in love with Jack it didn't take long I really liked him and you know even though he was sick and even though he was abusive I know that deep down he had so much potential to be the guy he was at the start of our relationship to be such a giving gentleman and just so funny and fun loving and just a kind warm soul and if anyone's ever dated a narcissist you know that who they were in the beginning of the relationship it's not who they really are it's who they want you to think they are because they're gaslighting you essentially And they are pretending to be someone they're not to make you fall for them so that they have you. Like they have a hook on you and this is all where like the mental brainwashing comes in in an abusive relationship. It's the honeymoon, you know? It's it's perfect and then it's not. And with Jack, I remember feeling so insecure because I didn't feel good enough for him. And I put him up on this pedestal that he didn't really deserve, but I was so young and and naive, and I wore my heart on my sleeve, and I just wanted love, and I was so gullible to a predator like Jack. And it's interesting, you know, looking back, we, we think of all the good times, and it's hard for us to remember the bad times when we break up with someone. We call it euphoric recall, and that was basically me, our entire relationship. I stayed in the relationship because of what we had in the beginning, and I wanted nothing more than for it to go back to the way that it was. So we started seeing each other in October, and then, you know, it went by pretty fast. In December, he started becoming abusive and showing signs and red flags and there were so many warning signs but again I was so young and I had been in abusive relationships before but it was nothing to this extent you know he started becoming very jealous and controlling and verbally abusive cursing at me calling me names and just being really possessive and manipulative and I felt in my gut that something was wrong and this is why I am encouraging you to please never disregard or ignore your instincts. Your intuition is never wrong and after an abusive relationship it can be very easy to doubt our intuition because we don't trust ourselves but I'm telling you I felt it and I would ask my family, I'd ask my sister and my mom, is this weird or am I just making it up because I'm a highly sensitive empath and you know my family would tell me no you're just being too sensitive it's all in your head you're just dramatic 
it's fine. And even though I knew that it didn't feel right with me, it didn't sit right with me the way he was talking to me and treating me, I just pushed it to the side because one, I didn't want it to be true. And two, people around me were invalidating me. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And I'll go more into it, but for now, it really broke my heart to see what was unraveling. And I don't think I was honestly shocked because when we have a mental illness or when we've been in bad relationships, we always feel like something is coming, like something is too good to be true. So it's only a matter of time before the other shoe drops, as the saying goes. And I didn't want to believe it because I saw this amazing man just getting uglier by the day and I noticed I was getting to be afraid of him and he kept demanding things from me. He kept demanding and forcing sex and when I didn't give him what he wanted, he would punish me ultimately. It was a it was a numbers game. He would keep score of everything and it just got so much worse over time and before I knew it, I had completely lost myself in the relationship. Thank you guys so much for listening to this. I appreciate you more than you could ever know. Don't say these things because I want you to feel sorry or bad for me. Quite the opposite. I'm actually telling you this because I want to give you a first glimpse into my life and what has made me who I am today. And although this is very sloppy, it's like any other piece of art. It starts as an idea. And I'm just being so raw with you guys because I wouldn't take anything back. I've actually really come to appreciate everything that I've gone through in the last few years. And I just want you to know that recovery is a journey and an ongoing process. Life is never an easy straight path. We need to allow ourselves room to mess up and make mistakes because it's not like once we achieve a certain goal or reach a certain destination that we have it all figured out. I know it took me almost losing my life, going back to my abuser several times and having to fight the urge to return again and again in order for me to learn my lesson. I'm still a work in progress and there are days I feel incredibly strong while there are other days I feel incredibly weak. I feel like society has this expectation that making a poor decision, you're either succeeding or failing in life. But that's not how life works. We're not all good and we're not all bad. There will be times that are better or worse than others. And it's up to us to notice when we're operating from a place of fear and old wounds. I know firsthand the devastating effects that trauma can have on a person. And I am still in the process of healing, but that's okay. We must show ourselves compassion Instead of placing unreasonable expectations on ourselves to be over it after a certain time period. 
At the end of the day, one of the biggest lessons I have learned is that we are our own worst enemies. Others may scar us, but it's often our own resentment, guilt, fear, and shame that keeps hurting us, not the perpetrator. I want to let you know that it's okay to let go. It's okay to move on and put it and leave it in the past. It's okay to forgive yourself now. There's so many times when I was ready to throw in the towel, and I'm sure you were too. It's not worth it, I think to myself. But what I've come to realize is that we have to go through these horrible experiences in order to have our voice heard. I have a message I want to share with the world, an important story that needs to be spread. And if we can help each other to feel less alone in our struggles, then I personally think my suffering would have been worth it. So there's more to this story, but I'm going to leave it at here for part one because I'm ready for bed and hashtag self-care. But I just want to leave you with this thought for the night. The way that you think creates your future. And most people spend their whole lives waiting for something outside of them to change in order for them to change how they feel about themselves. Don't wait for your external world to change to begin feeling good because then you will be waiting until you die. Change how you feel now. Give gratitude, show thanks, and appreciation. Just become so submerged in love and trust me, I guarantee that you will begin to notice your external world starts to change.